Third Shift presents The Imposter's Guide to Gaming, your quick fix for gaming news. Here are your hosts, Eric and Matt. What's up, everybody? Welcome to IG2G. This is episode 8. I'm your host, Matt. Got Eric with me as well. Got a bunch of good stuff for you this week. We're talking about punching people's faces in, driving on dirty roads, and killing people in my indie game showcase. Now let's check out what's on the store shelves. Top 5 Releases First up, boys and girls, we've got a little title called Tekken 7, Ooh, published and developed by Bandai Namco. If you guys don't know who they are, I don't even know why you're gaming, mm-hmm. to be quite frank. And if you don't even know what Tekken is, I once again have to say you probably shouldn't be gaming because they've been around forever, hence the title Tekken 7. In fact, I think it's been, what, 20 years they've been making these games? Woo. Yeah, it's got to be, at least. Yeah. Right? Yeah. God, I'm old. I am so old. I remember freaking the original Tekken, and I remember rocking Tekken 3. Quite a bit until I realized I sucked and then, you know, gave up on it. But I was never into them very hardcore, but I remember them being there and going, hmm, I should play that because I like fighting games. So this game So this game came out for the arcade, obviously, Xbox One, PC, PlayStation 4, and it was released on June 2nd. It's a fighting game, in case what? you actually don't know what it is. Yes. Instead of having all sorts of, like, uh, projectile gimmicks, etc., it's much more intimate fighter. It's more, it's more technical. You kind of get in each other's faces, doing different styles of martial arts from all over the world. They've got a huge cast of playable characters, ranging from super serious to ridiculous. They have a panda bear as a playable character. Mm-hmm. So when I say ridiculous, I really do mean ridiculous. In this particular Tekken, everything I've read up on says that uh, it's point on. They introduced a new story called the Mishima Saga. Like all fighting games, it's kind of trivial and weird, but it's a nice addition. Something to go through and just kind of gnash your teeth on, get some new characters maybe you haven't tried out, and see what the Tekken experience is all about. Other than that, the only thing that's really different besides the graphics and how awesome and amazing it is, I will say that the character customizations I hear are outstanding. Yes. That you can tailor your character to just anything you want them to be, you know, with all their looks, etc., and just really feel like that's your character going into that battle. Mm -hmm. So something I'd like to check out. I watched a little bit on it. But uh, obviously, I'd love to get my hands on it and see if I still got a little skill. And speaking of character customizations, shout out to all the New Japan fans. You can get a Bullet Club t-shirt in this. I think King can wear Kazuchika Okada's ring entrance robe. And you can get a Marty Skrull Plague Doctor mask for your character. So all kinds of fantastic stuff there. I want to pick it up just for that even though I'm not a big Tekken guy, but... Hey, we could both just go be you know, idiots together and beat each other up and get angry. It'd be great. There we go. That's perfect. I love it. All right, next up for releases, we got Tokyo 42, developed by SMAC Games and published by Mode 7. It was released on the 31st of May for, I believe, Xbox One and PC, and from one of the trailers I saw, it said PS4 is coming in mid-July. This is a game all about assassinations. I'm going to go into it a lot more later in the show in my Indie Game Showcase. I'm not going to give you much here. I'm just going to give you that little teaser. Hey, you want to kill people? You might want to listen to what I have to say about it later in the show. I can't wait. You know me. I love killing people man that's true you do so we're coming out here with the elder scrolls online morrowind expansion for those of you who do not know the elder scrolls online is an mmorpg that's on the pc playstation 4 xbox one and mac which is a big surprise because mac never has anything mm-hmm. if you're not familiar with an mmorpg then this isn't going to really toot your horn any but uh anybody who played elder scrolls 3 morrowind 
is going to be super happy with this because you're going to go back to that beautiful land. It's been recreated almost identical to what it was like in Elder Scrolls 3. Oh, nice. So anybody who's familiar with that is going to step into this and know where the locations are, know where all the main stuff is. The only big difference is it takes place 700 years before... The Elder Scrolls Three did. Oh, okay. So a lot of the cities and towns are either A, not there, or B, under construction and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it adds a, a kind of cool element to it. This expansion obviously has a new raid. It's got a new class, the Warden class, which has, it's like a hybrid class. And, you know, does healing, DPS, all that good stuff, mm-hmm. which is unusual. Usually their base classes are pretty fundamental. So this is kind of like the first one to venture out and be a little bit something different. Gotcha. This expansion was released June 6th and, of course, was published by Bethesda, duh, and developed by Xenomax Online Studios. So if this sounds like something up your alley, obviously go purchase The Elder Scrolls Online first (laughs) because you can't play this unless you have the original game already. Right. And then purchase the new expansion. Next up, I got a two-pack for you. Episodes for Telltale Episodic Games. First up, we got Episode 5 of The Walking Dead New Frontier. That dropped on the 30th of May. And Episode 2 of Guardians of the Galaxy dropped on the 6th of June. For Xbox One, PS4, PC, iOS, everything else you could ever imagine. Of course, both brought to you by Telltale. I've been hearing some a little bit iffy stuff about The Walking Dead, the newest season, saying that it doesn't have, you know, the real, like, emotional depth of the first or second ones, but still a good experience. I've heard nothing but good stuff about the Guardians of the Galaxy game, so definitely go check those two out if you're interested in either one of those properties. And how you're not interested in the Telltale game is beyond me. They're almost always pretty fun, if not amazing. That's true. And last on the list, we've got Dirt 4, released June 9th for the PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. This game was published and developed by Codemasters. The reason I'm going to bring this one up, Matt, is I'm not real big into racing games. Mm -hmm. But, of course, taking a peek at it, and I watched uh, IGN had a whole thing on it where they brought in people who'd never uh, dirt raced or played these kind of games before and tried to teach them how. Oh, nice. And then see if they could actually perform. I learned that this game is super technical. I mean, oh, yeah. they, they talk, they talk in, you know, all the rally cars, speak, do all that kind of stuff, mm. learn about shifting, drifting. What kind of degrees the corners are that you're going into, all that stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And what kind of angles and turns and when to come out of it. All that's mentioned. And you have an A driver or, or a mic driver. Is it an A driver or a mic? I never did figure that out. In real life rally races, you are sitting there with another dude, I believe. That's what I thought. Because the A driver is supposed to be telling him what's coming up and to prepare what turn to take. Yeah. The same thing is in this game. Yeah. You have someone sitting next to you going, oh, prepare for a 90 degree with uh, wet conditions, uh, soft road, you know, that kind of thing. Yep, yep. And I was like, wow, that's pretty freaking sweet. Mm-hmm. And, of course, these guys and gals were in, like, this huge car with all the doohickeys. Oh, and, nice. You know, yeah. That's so awesome. I was super impressed and made me actually go, I want to play that like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I wonder if I have an arcade that was going to pick something up like this, <laughs> except for it's never going to come to an arcade. So, What, are you going to go to Showbiz Pizza and maybe hop in an arcade machine there? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Almost, 40, so. uh, almost 35-year-old man driving in there. Get out of here, hey, little Billy. Daddy's got to drive dirt. <laughs> That's right. I'm a grown man. Don't judge me. <laughs> But it's just interesting because, you know, most games take place on the racetrack or cross country. Mm-hmm. And, of course, this is a rally car game. So you're off road and, you know, you got to pay attention to all those different climates and conditions. Oh, yeah. And then while I'm watching and looking at this stuff, this is why I was like, oh, I got to mention this. Got to give a shout out, Matt. So most of these maps take place in five different, like, circuit areas. And I'm not going to list them all because they got lots of crazy names and stuff. But the reason I mention this 
and this is important. If you don't know, me and Matt live in Michigan. Oh, yeah. And what do you know? They've got a rally based in Michigan. Oh, boy. It's, and and I'm get, is it called going down the two-track in an old Chevy Malibu and getting stuck and having to dig it out with disc golf frisbees? Is that is that the name of this yes. track? Okay, good. Uh, yes. Yeah, I talked to the that, That's uh, a tough developers. one. I've been on mm-hmm. that one. You, it's hard, yeah, right? It's, it's, it sucks. <laughs> What was it? it? Took us like two hours to get uh, that dirt out. Uh-huh. Good time. And, and that was that was only once. We dug it out twice. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So yeah, one of the uh, one of the areas is in Michigan, and you're going down. Apparently, it's a fall time track. Lots of mud and leaves falling and whatnot. Nice. So you know you got to give props to these games basing locations off of Michigan because you know not many do. That's right. Hey, maybe that's why Player X is playing it all the time now. Maybe you heard about Michigan. There it is. Maybe that's why. All right, now let's roll into some topics. Number five. First up today, we've got ARMS for the Nintendo Switch. Obviously, it's made in-house by Nintendo, as is all their big games. Mm-hmm. It's not actually out yet, but all the reviews are already out. There's already been two different free plays, so I feel like everybody's kind of got their hands on it that wants to get their hands on it. But the game comes out June 16th for the Nintendo Switch. It's a fighting game, and obviously it's not a traditional fighting game because Nintendo never does anything that's just traditional. Right. The basic premise is you take control of a character who has these humongous stringy arms that punch out, and then, of course, you can control their movement as they're going out. And you go into an arena, and you try to punch your foe in the face enough times to knock them out. Mm -hmm. So, hence, a fighting game. Pretty simple, right? Except for things start to get crazy. Because, as I just mentioned, these arms go to extreme lengths, some farther, some shorter, some faster, some more powerful, some lighter. And then, to boot, you control where they go. So you can kind of go for straight jabs. You can go for long, crazy hooks. There's all sorts of flexibility in this. Each character has their own arena, and each one's like based off that character and kind of what they are and what they're about. And then all of them have destructible environments and uh, gimmicky like platforms and things you got to work around. Mm -hmm. So not only are you having to pay attention to the enemy, but you're paying attention to where you're at and your placement on the arena itself. Yep. And then they've got unique abilities and also your arms, which can be interchanged, which is the really cool part about this game. Oh, nice. So you start off with three basic ones, and then as you play and unlock stuff, you get more and more arms, which means there's this huge customization factor to this game because each arm can have a different arm on it. Oh, nice. See, I was just going to ask, can you have like your, your close-up power arm and then your long noodly jab you arm? You sure arm? can. Awesome. So like one arm might have like this huge... Um, freaking t- five-ton anvil on it mm-hmm. with electrical abilities, and then you shoot that one out. It's real slow, but if it hits and lands, you're doing heavy damage and shocking the opponent while you got your quick dart arm, which is just jutting out, maybe with a poison, poisoning mm-hmm. your enemy, that kind of thing, putting them to sleep, blinding them, all these different things. Nice. So you got to really think about, obviously, what you're good at, first off, and what you're going for. Mm-hmm. Secondly, you got to think about the level you're in and what's going to make more sense. Because if you're on these platforms going up and down and all over, you're going to need more range than you would in some basic, really tight-knit arena, you know. Yep, and yep. then, obviously, you got to look at your opponent. If you know John loves to use those range attacks, well, you might want to return in kind. Or go, you know what, if I get in his face with some short jabs, he can't yep. counter that, and I win. Exactly. So, on the surface, the game looks... You know, like it's kind of goofy and childish, you know, mostly like a lot of Nintendo games do. Yeah. But there's a ton of customization and a ton of fun 
underneath if you just uh, play it for a minute and start to really take a peek at it. So I'm, I'm very much interested. As you guys know, I am the one with the switch out of the two of us. So I've been trying to finagle away to pick this one up for the family. It's got motion control, so all you got to do is just, yo, Elaine, hold the controls, mm-hmm. do this. You're fighting with daddy. You know, it's funny you point that out, Matt, because that was the other thing in this game. It's controls, obviously, you can use the motion controls where it's got you holding the two Joy-Cons up and then kind of going the movements mm-hmm. and then using the sticks and stuff to control and move around. From what I hear, a lot of the younger generation and stuff is probably going to enjoy that more than the old school fighters. But guess what, old school fighters? You can actually change to standard controls, put the Joy-Cons in their docks, or get a pro controller, and away you go. You can just play it like you would any fighting game, which is what I'm going to do because I'm old, not coordinated, and trying to move my hands and do things. (laughs) My shoulders hurt. My arms hurt. Well, you know, I can only do like three things at a time at most, Matt, and you know, that just seems like too (laughs) many. Four or five things? I can't think of that. And then lastly, the game has several different play modes. You got your campaign, obviously, which has boss battles and then of course the little interactions with the different characters mm-hmm. you got a skill shot one where you're kind of hitting targets and it's you know giving you all sorts of points for how you go about it and how accurate you are you know your basic skill shot you got hoops which is a fun one where you're trying to hit your opponent and grab them and throw them in to the basketball hoop nice so that just seems like a whole fun new take on a fighting game instead of just beating each other up and then lastly you've got volleyball and that's self-explanatory. You're going mm-hmm. hitting this ball back and forth over the volleyball net using your wacky arms, so it requires a lot of uh, you know, precision. But it looks like a lot of fun. If you got a switch and you're looking for a new fix, this is one to probably pick up. Number four. So we're going to switch focus from Nintendo to the PC with this one and Steam closing down their Greenlight service. Now, for people who don't know what Steam Greenlight is or was now since it has closed down on the 6th of June officially, this was a service where, you know, you could kind of like not crowdfund, but like crowd support the games that you wanted to get onto Steam. A developer could put up a Steam Greenlight page saying, hey, here's the game I'm working on. Here's what it is. You know, a small indie little team. And then if you liked it, if you were interested in it, you'd give it a thumbs up. If enough people gave it a thumbs up, it would kind of go on to Steam officially. But from what I've been hearing, there have been all kinds of people like abusing the system, kind of just putting garbage games up there that they don't have any intention to finish or games with stolen assets. And then I've also heard of publishers like bribing people to give them thumbs up for more games like, hey, we'll give you our entire back catalog of games for free if you give us thumbs up on our new one. And all kinds of other things. Not to go into too big of a detail on it, but I guess Steam trading cards are a bigger thing than I ever thought they'd be. What they started off was was you'd play a game, it would give you free trading cards for unlocking stuff. Now there's this whole secondary market of people buying and selling them for real money. And so this was another thing that Steam Greenlight publishers, you know, the shady ones, were doing. As they'd put up a garbage game where you can get trading cards real easy, people would buy them, sell them. The publisher would get a cut. Steam would get a cut. It's this whole, like, ridiculous thing. So Greenlight's going away because of all that bad stuff, even though there have been some real successes, like uh, I think Rogue Legacy is one that kind of got a little bit of mainstream success. Seven Days to Die is another, you know, real popular indie one, especially with streamers and all those guys. Those were Greenlight games. 
but they're replacing Steam Greenlight with Steam Direct on the 13th of June, and that's going to be a lot more official. I think they're saying that uh, developers and publishers will have to fill out a bunch of paperwork, do the kind of stuff like when you would open a bank account, you know, give them all kinds of info, you know, tax documents maybe even too, just to make sure that, you know, you're a proper, (laughs) legit, yeah, publisher or development house. You're actually going to make a good game and put it as a product up on Steam. They're also talking about making those developers pay a fee. I think it's for each game that goes up. The estimates I've been hearing on that have been anything from like $500 to like a thousand bucks, but then that fee gets recouped after you've made your first thousand dollars of sales. So it's a, you know, it's it's a refundable fee as long as you're making something that people will want to buy versus just, you know, some garbage that you threw up there to get your name out. So it seems like a good system. I think they're also talking about how once developers put a product up on Steam Direct, they actually do have to have somebody from Steam or from Valve, or however you want to think about it, actually download it, play it, make sure it's actually, you know, a working, functioning asset. There's nothing bad in there. So a little bit of quality control in there, a little bit of curation. I think it sounds like a better way of doing things because... Like we said, there's it, it would be just too easy to abuse the system. Hey, I got all these people who follow me on Twitter. Hey, go give a like to my new game so I can get it on Steam. I'll give you a bunch of free crap from my old games. Too abusable of a system there, I thought. Well, and as you see, it was. Yeah. Hence why they're getting rid of it and coming up with something new. Because, mm. you know, it's just sad because that happens to be the case almost every time. Mm. If someone can abuse the system, they do abuse the system. And they end up with these scenarios, and it's actually fortunate that they're going to try something different mm-hmm. instead of just shut it down and be like, ah, to heck with it. Yeah, and it seems like a lot better way than, you know, how Steam originally was. You know, the people behind them, Valve, would just say, oh, there's a cool game. Let's invite those guys and see if they want to be on Steam. So you had to catch their eye somehow to even get on it. Versus this one, you know, you put in your application, you put in your fee, you put up your product. They say, okay, look, everything seems to be in order. So you can still catch their eye yourself by putting in the app. Definitely seems like an upgrade to me. I've seen some people saying, oh, we're not really sure if this is going to work or not. I think it sounds like it's going to work better. So a lot less garbage, a lot more legitimate games. I'm optimistic. Number three. So this next one, we'd be remiss not to talk about a little bit since, as you guys may or may not know, we have another podcast, Third Shift, which is our Gearbox podcast, where we talk all about, guess what, Gearbox games. So something big happened this last week, and that is that Gearbox's Battleborn game went free-to-play. And not just regular free-to-play, though, more a free trial play uh, some kind of weird in between there. We're not quite sure, but we'll talk about it a little bit. <laughs> they made the multiplayer free, and yes. nobody ever puts it that way, which is the easiest way. They always just say free to play, free trial, and then underneath they say in tiny print, the multiplayer is free. The multiplayer. free. You can play it for free if you want. Exactly. So <laughs> as you hear, Matt's got it right. The multiplayer is free. The PV and stuff's all still locked behind you purchasing the game. Etc., 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 etc. For those of you who didn't know, Battleborn was originally created to be a free to play game, but the parent company 2K said, No, we don't want it to go that way. Therefore, they had to base it around a $59.99 model, mm-hmm. and hence the story goes. Battleborn came out last year on May 3rd, and it had the pleasure of getting only a <laughs> few week head start of a little title called Overwatch. O- over what? What is that? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Is that one of those Steam Greenlight games or something? Yeah, like- it's yeah, I think so. 
The game's done pretty well. It had over 3 million unique IDs, or unique users, however you want to phrase it. Mm-hmm. But, of course, compared to the direct competition it was being put against, Overwatch, you know, it was viewed as the, the guy who lost the war. You know, wow. and It's too bad, but those of us who stuck with it know that that game was a ton of fun, had all sorts of different ideas that weren't in Overwatch and have nothing to do with kind of, uh, Overwatch's arena-style battle. So, now, a year later... It's come to be free to play, and already there's been over almost going on a million unique IDs come yep. up since the free to play has begun. Mm-hmm. So there's high hopes that with it coming to free to play, which they had hoped it was going to be from the word go, it can get catch some ground and kind of get into the fray and become a, a popular game. Probably not as big as Overwatch, obviously, because it's hard to compete with Blizzard. I right, mean, right. they've got all the big IPs and go nuts. But still, a very respectable game, and I think it deserves to be there, as we've discussed on our other podcast a billion times. Mm-hmm. So this is a two-part thing. First off, it's me saying, hey, if you're listening to this and you don't listen to Third Shift, go get Battleborn. It's free to play in the multiplayer. It'll give you a good taste of what the game offers, the kind of characters it has, et cetera, et cetera. And what have you got to lose? If you don't like it, uh, you just take it off your system and go about your way. Exactly. But if you do like it, then hey, you can piecemeal the game together or go purchase it and do some PvE or just keep playing for free forever. It doesn't matter. You know, There's no reason not to. But jumping off that, I kind of wanted to say, do we think free-to-play works, first off, and then will it work for Battleborn? What do you think, Matt? What's What's been your viewpoint on this with other games and then also with this one? Mm. Well, free-to-play definitely works. I can, I can speak to that. Whether it works for this specific genre of games, Battleborn specifically, get into it a little bit later, but, I mean, we've got so many free-to-play success stories. Uh, League of Legends. I've dropped at least 100 hours into that game over my whole lifetime with it, and probably 60 to 80 bucks on unlocking skins and champions and you know all the cool stuff you can do in that. So I definitely believe free-to-play is a profitable model as long as you have the game and the infrastructure to support it. And by that I mean, you know, you don't have a, you know, an exploitative pricing model. You have characters that are unique enough that you're going to want to pay to unlock them, especially if you're using premium currency to do that, which Battleborn, you can unlock all the characters with credits, the in-game currency that you do earn from matches. So yes, I I like free-to-play. I think if Battleborn had started free-to-play, it would have a better... I mean, it would have had a better chance to start with, and it would... It would have been a build-up, all the things required for a free-to-play to be successful. Exactly. They would have put all that effort into it to begin with. I think now that they're going from a you know a standalone buy-the-game experience and trying to tweak it to go free-to-play, I'm less optimistic. I, th- I still think there's hope there, but I feel like now, a year in, I see a lot of the comments on Twitter, on Facebook, and all that stuff going... Oh, it's just a dead game anyway. Or they're oh, they're just doing this because it's dead. Well, why why even bother? So I feel like there's this negative cloud over it. I guess it'll come down to over the next few weeks seeing how they manage the rotation of characters and if we can figure out what the pricing is on a lot of these things. Like you know, because we have the full game, so I haven't seen any character unlock pricings because I'm sure you can buy them with platinum the premium mm-hmm. currency I just worry that since they haven't had a year to tweak it and work on it I mean they I'm sure they've been working on it but you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. they don't have a year of experience with how to tweak it here 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 and here to appeal to more people I, I'm, I'm less optimistic that this is a a great fit for it now I think if it was 
launched that way, it would have been perfect because we got games like, you know, Paragon, Smite, League of Legends, stuff like this that's flourished as a free-to-play game. I just worry that the conversion, and if there's any rocky roads in there, people are just going to go, whatever, uh, done. Now, my world of free-to-play comes from a little different angle. I've been seeing the MMO side of free-to-play, uh, like Star Wars, uh, Lord of the Rings, etc., etc. Yep. So these games were all, you know, buy-in at first, and then over time they couldn't keep the player base, you know, good enough to yep. where they could maintain that model and had to go free-to-play. And then all of them games saw success in doing so. Mm-hmm. And the reason I have hopes for Battleborn is because this game as I said in the very beginning, had three million, over 3 million unique IDs on its own when it was a pay-to-play model. True. It just, obviously, for the PC side especially, didn't retain all that. Mm-hmm. But that many people were on there checking the game out. And, of course, when it first came out, it did have a lot of bugs and issues, which you know made a lot of those players go away. Not because they thought the game was bad, but just because they thought it wasn't polished enough Mm-hmm. to stick to it when there's other fighting games and you know arena shooters etc out there yep. that are polished and ready to go on the word go. They fixed a lot of that, a ton of it in fact over this, you know, this last year. And I think they do have a game that's worth playing and is a lot of fun. So I think and I hope obviously because you know we do a whole podcast on this stuff. Right. That it can and will be successful with a free-to-play model because, as we've seen, almost a million unique ideas have come on since it went free-to-play. And we're going to see that number just continue, at least for a few weeks, like you said, for sure. Mm. And the player base for the console versions was pretty decent, but the PC was where it was hurting. So I'm hoping that between those who already played and have already been playing this whole time, Mm. sticking to it, and then the new ones that latch on and then tell one friend. So say one guy comes in, he really enjoys it. He tells his three or four friends. Out of those three or four, one gets it, tries it, and enjoys it. You see, the you know it just goes up and up and up and up. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, just like with all these MMOs that were, hey, you know, we've got a couple million people paying our uh, fifteen bucks a month, but that's not quite enough. Let's go free to play. Draw them in. Use microtransactions, etc., which all free to play games do. Yep. To you know, but beef up the the cash end of there and keep the updates and expansions coming, and that's exactly what Battleborn's trying to do. You know, get the microtransactions in there, and then beef up their back end using that so they can create new content. So I'm hoping if if it can work for the MMOs, it can work for Battleborn. You do make a great point in bringing that up because I hadn't even thought about the MMO side of it, and. You know, you and I and our buddies jumped on Star Wars when it came out. We all kind of fell off at different points. When it went free-to-play, I jumped on it for, I think it was about a month solid. Oh, here's the expansion that you can buy or you get for free if you're you're a subscriber. And I was like, man, I really do want that. So it, I can see what you're saying. I think from different angles, we've both basically said it has a chance. Yes, and, I, yes. and I do agree with you that ultimately if Gearbox had had their way and it was a free-to-play model from the word go, I think this would be a whole different world and situation we're in. Oh, yeah. Because I think it would have caught on because, obviously, there's a ton of people out there with no money, but they get a great game like Mm. Battleborn, and it's free. Even with the bugs they had in the beginning, I think it would have still done fantastic. And then as they reiterated and obviously been able to tweak their uh, microtransactions to fit uh, pricing-wise, content-wise, you know, and got that pace going, I think it would have been fantastic. And then, yeah, the unfortunate reality is now they're – trying to back-end it and, and, and catch up, you know, and mm. try to figure it out as they go and make it 
Yeah, because if they had it free to play at the beginning, people would have been like, oh, yeah, Overwatch ate their cookie, like we always say. But then three or four months later, they would have been like, hey, look, we've still got updates going. And people would have still gone, oh, I can just jump in right now and play those updates and see what, what it's all about. It would have been a little brighter outlook, but like you said, we, we both got hope. Hey, we got that hope, and there is definitely a possibility. I've seen it in several other games, yep. and I think it can happen here. So once again, to end it, go try Battleborn. If you're at all interested in an arena shooter slash MOBA slash anything in that regard, mm. I think you will find that it's a lot of fun. And if you've ever played Borderlands, the characters are all very zany, goofy, and wacky, just like you'd expect from any of your characters coming out of Borderlands. So there you go. Check it out. Check it out. Number two. And speaking of checking things out, oh, it's time for Matt's Indie Game Showcase. You know it. You love it. It's back here again. This week, I'm talking Tokyo 42. Now, this is a a really stylish indie game. I, you know, I'm I'm just going to tell you just pause pause the pause the podcast right now, go watch a trailer and then if you're hooked like me, I mean just go get it. This is an open world stealth action game, so you've been framed for murder, you're running around taking missions from different people trying to figure out who framed you, why they framed you, and the missions basically you can approach in two different ways. They're generally assassination missions, you know, infiltrate a building and eliminate a target, but you can do that either stealthily, in which case the game plays a lot like Hitman, you're sneaking around up stairwells, you know, hiding behind walls, all this other good stuff, or you can go in just super loud shooting everybody, and in that in that situation, it kind of turns into like a bullet hell shooter almost. I mean, not to the degree of like the crazy Japanese ones, but, you know, everyone's firing all their bullets. You're dodging all the way around. You're shooting out your own stream of bullets, trying to get people caught in them. All kinds of crazy stuff. Now, the graphics in this game are absolutely gorgeous. It's this weird kind of low res. I don't really want to say pixelated because when you think of pixelated you think of fat chunky pixels and these are like long thin pixels like everyone has this like sleek look to them it's i mean you really got to see it in action to really appreciate it but then the rest of the graphics are so crisp and clean and colorful it almost combines like a mirror's edge aesthetic where you know everything's bright and the colors are so stark and high contrast with like a blade runner-esque type setting because you got you know you got hovering cars you got neon everywhere it's really i mean it's really unique looking i'd also almost say like a super hot kind of look too where you got the bright colors and then the stark white to contrast it so definitely go check out some trailers to get a better grasp of what these graphics are like because it's really unique i don't think i've seen anything like this at or at least if i have i haven't seen it in a long time and the sound is just the music is just phenomenal. Even in just the couple trailers I've seen and the few clips of gameplay that I've seen, it's this like really retro, like chill synth vibe. It just, it's just this, it's just like sit back in your chair and just like groove music. It's so oh, good. I like it. That, that rainy day, just game all day. Uh huh. Oh, it's it's so good. And you bump it through your subwoofer too, and it's just boom, 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 boom. Oh, it's. It's just phenomenal. So definitely go check out some trailers. Go check out some gameplay. Uh, the only thing, only negatives I've heard from people is that it's presented from this isometric angle, and you can rotate the camera kind of at like ninety to forty-five degree angles at a chunk. So people are saying that you know if you're playing it on PC and you're moving around with Wasid and you're trying to you know chunk the camera around with Q and E, it's a little difficult. That's 
pretty much the only thing I've heard people say is the gameplay is hard just because of this isometric angle it's at. The one thing I noticed when I'm, you know, like I said, watching the gameplay videos is since it is so zoomed out, it's kind of hard to follow what all's going on because you're this little tiny dude jumping all around trying to kill these other little tiny dudes. But I felt like the more I watched it, the more I was used to like the bright colors that indicate, you know, if your enemy is shooting at you, it's usually a red bullet. Yours are usually blue or, you know, an enemy is a certain color. The cops are like white and blue if they're chasing you. So once you know what visual information you're looking for, it really jumps out because, like I said, it's this really clean, colorful aesthetic. Mm -hmm. So I I feel like the more you play, the more you'll get used to that. It's also got some online multiplayer death matches, I believe, which looking at the types of jumps and crazy kind of guns you can get looks like it would be ridiculously fun but most of the reviews i saw couldn't comment on that so just a really fun stylish retro in sound and graphics action stealth game it just looks phenomenal so go check out some videos go check out some trailers because as soon as this one comes to ps4 in mid-july like i said i'm gonna own it i'm gonna be playing it all the time number one So last, but certainly not least, obviously everybody knows if you're jumping on this episode new right when it's fresh coming out, everyone knows E3 is what's happening right now. So this is technically our pre-E3 episode because we record this on Sunday. So we've seen a little bit of a couple press conferences, but we don't have the full spiel yet for you. But one thing I did want to bring up, it's a topic we've brought up on Third Shift proper before, kind of in jest and saying, oh, well, you know, that's another topic for another time. But whenever E3 hits, you get all the game announcements, and then about a week after that, you get all the, hey, pre-order all those games you just saw at E3 here at GameStop, at Amazon, at Best Buy. Pre-order them now, get the season pass with them as well. So I figured we'd have a little discussion on pre-ordering games. What do you think of it? Go ahead, Eric. Just just kick us off here. All right. To start this off, let me just say I generally don't agree and or like pre-ordering because throughout the iteration of that game from its first big reveal trailer at the E3, etc., and then you get all pumped and you go pre-order, and the game inevitably changes or isn't mm-hmm. as cool or as expansive or as whatever as what they showed in those trailers. Mm-hmm. Even though a lot of them were like, oh, in-game graphics, et cetera, et cetera. It's <laughs> yeah. just, no, it's it's a load of juju mm-hmm. and never ends up being quite what you thought it was going to be. So on that front, I just don't like it. And uh, a couple of years ago, I stopped pre-ordering almost altogether. Yep. But they got wise, Matt. They got real wise. It used mm-hmm. to be they would offer you uh, items. They would offer you goodies. They would offer you art books and cloth maps and you know all those little trinkets and toys and Mm. gimmicks and for those that are you know connoisseurs of the games and whatnot like as i was when i was a younger man at the time that was enough you know and i'd go in there and i'd purchase them that i think died not died died but it got it got to a point where i think most people weren't buying into it Mm -hmm. so then they started to go ahead and shift like store to store you know they'd be like well if you get it here at best buy you get this super green skin that you'll never see again except for Best Buy. And if you go to GameStop, you're going to get a silver set of glasses that you're never going to see in-game again except for now. Yep. And I think that worked for a bit. But then that didn't work what they wanted. So what they did, Matt, and now they got me back on pre-ordering, uh-huh. they started saying, hey, if you want to play a beta, you got to pre-order the game. That's true. That's true. And I went, oh, you shot me. You shot me in the face, uh, and now I'm beholden to you once again. Because 
Who doesn't want to get in on a beta and be able to check a game out months before it comes out to the public? Mm. That, to me, is huge. So I think a whole new culture came around of pre-ordering, five bucks down, and then getting in the beta and then making their final decision in the beta as to whether to get the game. But true, true. These, these companies know this. So in, in between that time, they make sure that they get all the right things going and the, the best possible thing they can have for their beta. So when you pop in, you have a good enough time or a great time, and then you're mm-hmm. like, well, oh, man, this is... I can't. I can't get rid of that. I can't get rid of that pre-order. I'm just gonna get the game, and they got you. Instead of you going, well, I'll check reviews once it's out, read a few of them, and maybe I'll get it. Nope. They they get you early with that beta. You get in the beta. They make sure it's good enough that you're like, well, you know, I already I already put it down, you know, on the game to hell with it. I'd have to go in and cancel it if I really yeah, wanted exactly. to. Yeah, oh, exactly. I'm so lazy. And so they kind of caught you. They they went ahead and just whoosh, reeled you in, and I don't. I don't like it. I really mm-hmm. don't. Yeah. I feel like pre-orders shouldn't exist. I feel like if you want people to play in your beta, you invite them to your beta. Yeah, exactly. As it always was. Sign up on their roster, sign up on their mail list, participate in their forums, whatever it is, whatever their conditions are, but not pay to get in. And then you get in that way. Because if you're really a fan of that particular game, I think being active in the forums, doing all that right stuff, that should be what gets you a chance to play early. Because you're already a fan, and then you can spread the word to your other friends once the beta hits, hey, man, this is legit. Or at that point, if you don't have your beta together, eh, you guys might want to wait for the reviews, etc., as most anybody else was going to do anyway. I don't want to say that I have really strong feelings about pre-orders, but the more you were talking about it, the more kind of like revved up I got that I really don't like pre-orders in general. Because like you, back in the day, I was the you know, the collectibles guy. Oh, Bioshock comes with a big daddy figure. Got to get that. Got to pre-order. Get it. And then I play the game not nearly enough to justify my $60 investment. Or, oh, I pre-ordered this game for the cool collectible and I thought the game was going to be really good and it's just garbage and I hate it. I've been burned way too many times on that. And then, like we talked about, the splitting up between retailers. I thought that was going to be a thing of the past, but just now... Over the weekend, I got excited because Agents of Mayhem was like, hey, you can unlock Johnny Gad if you pre-order from GameStop. And I went, sweet, going to get it. And then two days later, they went, hey, if you want this other agent, you got to pre-order from the PS4 store. And I went, but I want all the agents. Don't do this to me, Volition, you bastards. (laughs) They haven't got me yet, but they got me pissed off by doing that. So, yeah, there's that. I definitely understand what you're saying with the, you know, invite to the beta, because that's another one that's gotten me, too. But like you said, if you are inviting people to a demo or, a, you know, a time demo or a beta or something, like you said, this is going to be your A-plus mission. This is going to be your baby that you shined up, you made it all pretty, you played around with, you know, all the developers in the room, and you all said, all right, what, mission six, that's the one. You got to give them a taste of that. They'll be hooked. This got all the bombs dropping. This got the cool ability you're using. This has got this and that. I, I think all these tricks and ways of doing it are, there's part of me that likes them, but I just don't like them overall. Plus, nowadays, when you have the review embargoes that are so tight to release, like nobody can even put out a release until the day it drops in the store. So, you know, consumers don't even have a chance to hear, oh man, I played it and it really sucked. Or, you know, the demo was great, but I played the final product and it was just garbage. The way that these these companies 
restrict your info as a consumer to incentivize you to pre-order and then they've like you said they've got the hook in you now it's too late now you can't do anything about it. i got it and it sucked well i already got you 60 bucks mm-hmm. so yeah i've been up and down on pre-orders i think now i'm down in that trough of just i don't want to pre-order a game unless it's from a series that i absolutely know oh it's the new persona gonna get it oh it's the new yakuza game going to get it. It's the new XYZ in in series ABC that I really love. I'll pre-order it, bump their numbers up, maybe get a little bonus. But I think in general, I just feel like it's a scuzzy practice, especially in this day and age. And while I agree with you, I'll go ahead and uh, bring up the counter, of course. Something you're going to hear a lot of people say is, if you are questioning the game or, or have cons- you know conservative thoughts on it, mm. just don't pre-order it. Why do you need to be in a beta for a game that you have questionable thoughts on, you know what I mean, right? Uh, you know, so you don't have to. Just don't do it if you don't like it. You know, I, I hear that and I see that coming. Mm-hmm. The problem is, there's been I don't know how many games that I've been that was like part one, especially going from part ones to like a part two of a game. Oh, yeah. Well, that was a decent game, but you know, I, I don't know if I want to carry on or over or whatever. I need something to push me. Well, you know what a beta would do? It would push me. That would push it. So yeah. you know what I would love to try is the beta. Hey, I've been a loyal fan of you your whole first game. Maybe you should just throw me a free beta, make it your best mission, have it have all the jazz, mm-hmm. and then, ooh, look, I'm sold. I'm right back on it. Do a great job at E3 or any of the pack shows, you know? That's how you get me. I don't think you have to go, oh, just pre-order, and then you'll get in the beta, and then hopefully you'll like it, and then you're going to keep on. But, you know, they're only doing it to get that money, like we discussed. So yeah. that's kind of where I get bummed out about it. It's like, you know, get the people who are loyal to you in on your beta. Get those who followed you for your first game or followed you even for other games. You know, mm. Blizzard does that sometimes where, you know, I never played Heroes of the Storm, but I played World of Warcraft for years. Well, guess what? When that game was getting beta and alpha, hey, Eric, you should just check this game out because you've totally been playing this game for like, you know, six, seven years. Maybe mm. you're going to like this too. All right, I guess I'll go play it and check it out. Oh, it's a MOBA. I'm not real big on those. Uh, and then, of course, I didn't play. But, hey, I had the opportunity. I was going to say, you at know? least you had the chance to try it and try it for free without any commitments. While you were talking, it just sparked me. I remember when I first got my Xbox 360, and oh, hey, big release A, B, and C came out. And you know what else came with them? A demo of A, B, and C that you could download on the marketplace and play for 30 minutes or, you know, two missions or this or that. And I would play it, and I would go, okay, I either really like this game, and I'm going to go buy it now, or, oh, I really don't like that game. I'm glad I didn't spend my money on it, even though all the hype videos looked amazing. Where are my demos nowadays? There's a few here and there. And I've seen people from the industry saying, oh, man, it takes so much work to do a demo, and then you don't sell anybody on the game anyway. Well, you sold me on a bunch of games, so I don't know. You know, maybe proportionally I'm, you know, in the minority, but like I just said, when the game comes out, give me a demo. Give me a slice of it. There's been a bunch of games like that where I downloaded the demo. Oh, here's some weird game I've never heard of. I'll, I'll try it because it's a free demo. Oh, that's really awesome. Going to go pick that up. Well, especially in the digital day and age. Yeah. You know, back in the day, I understood it cost quite a bit of money because you'd have to put that sucker on a disc, then ship it out with all the different uh, oh, ma- yeah, yeah. video game magazines or whatever, you know, or however you distributed it. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. That costs money. But now you just say, hey, and, and Disc AF5, for example, does it on the Switch. They had a demo. Hey, go mm-hmm. to the eShop, download this demo, and see if you like it. Did you like it? Yeah, okay, push the buy button, and then you just go play the rest of the game. If you didn't, delete it, move on with your life. I feel like there have been more demos lately, but not nearly as much as there were 
like back at the start of the Xbox 360 when mm-hmm. things really started going digital. So if you're listening out there, get some demos up, man. Stop with all this trying to trap people into pre-orders and you can only play betas through this or you get three gold swords and credits or something, you know, mm. whatever the hell it is they, they lure you in with. <laughs> of course, so there'll be those who shut your mouths. I want my three gold swords and my 50,000 credits to start the game with. I mean, I still do want to get Johnny Gat in Agents of Mayhem, so I am going to go pre-order See, it to get him. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it with a grumpy face on my face. Well, but on the other end, just pre-ordering if you love a game, there's nothing wrong with that. Right, right, exactly. So I just hate how they try to lock stuff behind it mm-hmm. to get you to force you to try to go over there and grab it up because you're very interested in seeing the game mm-hmm. or whatever. You know, if they're just like, hey, if you do pre-order, you know, we'll give you this. If not, hey, whatever. Wait for the reviews. Wait for the big, uh, you know, f- reveal or whatever it is. Your friend to tell you it's awesome. But and I think the other the other business thing that I forgot to mention is that I've heard of publishers saying that games were predicted failures just because they didn't get X number of pre-orders before the game launched. And it's like that's it just rolls into that scummy business practice rubber band ball that I just don't like. Or, or you know, how nowadays, well, if game doesn't get a, a perfect 82 Metacritic, then we're going to fire all the developers. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to cut the teams. It, pre-orders are just another one of those stats that they can go, all right, fails, failure stamp, boom, done, failure, failure, failure. And it, it really pisses me off when I hear that kind of stuff. Well, yeah, I was going to say, that's a topic for another day because you're kind of digging into that... Uh value you know whether the money's the king of all things or whether it's the quality of the game and unfortunately i think money is uh, the king of everything now Mm -hmm. so that's another topic that's another topic (laughs) for another podcast (laughs) that's right (laughs) so yeah that's it unless you got anything else to say i guess it's probably time for the wrap-up let's wrap it imposters wrap-up so as you always hear in the intro, this podcast is brought to you under the Third Shift Network. So if you guys got any questions for us, any suggestions for the show, you just want to say hi or you want to say that we're a bunch of jerks and we should pre-order every single game that comes out, you can do that via email at info at thirdshift.me. You can tweet at us at thirdshiftme, and you can find us on Facebook under Third Shift. And heck yeah, man. For all of you guys listening out there, we appreciate you guys very, 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 very much. And if you like what you hear, go on over to the iTunes, go on over to those little areas, click five stars hook us up get us going make us important in the world of all the five star ratings and all that other good stuff and of course this podcast drops every two weeks so we'll be back in your ear holes in two weeks on tuesday the 27th of june for our very next episode so that'll be our e3 wrap-up episode you get to hear all of our favorite stuff from e3 we might even shake up the format a little bit who knows you're gonna have to tune in in two weeks to find out suckers oh yeah and with that mr matt i'm gonna say uh, don't, don't forget, forget to save, save.